Shalom, Mishpocha. This is Sid Roth. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with a very supernatural guest. And now, here's your host for this program. It's supernatural television producer, Jackie Duval. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Randy Kay. Randy's mission is simple it's to give hope and encouragement while equipping believers in Jesus to fulfill their singular purpose in life. Welcome, Randy. Thank you, Jackie. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you with us. So let's take you back to um, when you were a child growing up um, in your home, your parents. Uh, they went to church infrequently, so you weren't really raised in a real Christian home. And uh, you said that you were an agnostic until age 25. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to become a Christian at age 25. I was, uh, Jackie, not only an agnostic, I was like Saul before he became Paul. I didn't, I didn't conduct any uh, violence to the, to the point that Saul did, but I did get into some fights as a as a younger person, and I actually at Northwestern University, I got the Christian club off campus, um, and I was an ardent, ardent agnostic, uh, missionary agnostic. Uh, so that was the level of agnosticism that I had in my hostility toward Christians in particular. Um, we attended a church, but uh, rarely discussed uh, Christianity in our home, and, and that was infrequent. And subsequently, I was involved in a near-fatal car crash, and the Holy Spirit began to draw my attention toward God. My car rolled over into a ditch. It crunched. Uh, uh, I was then, by the rescue team, taken uh, out of the car. Uh, my head had actually uh, catapulted uh, through the window, so it was a miracle that I survived. There was somebody who met me at the uh, my first recollection, and side of the car, and I don't. I still to this day don't know who it was, whether that was an angel or somebody from a medical team, but uh, this was somebody who actually prayed for me. I uh, attended a, a revivalist church, uh, charismatic spirit-filled church near Chicago, by answering an altar call and praying with one of the pastors, and my life was completely transformed at this point from being a skeptic to evangelizing others and starting Christian fellowship groups within the uh, corporate environments in which I worked. Uh, and then I was on fire for Jesus. I, I felt at home with God for the first time in my life. I had initially cried out uh, to God that if, if he was real, that's when I was an agnostic, that he needed to show up. I needed to know him as personally as I do my loved ones. And indeed, that's what happened uh, in the spiritual realm. And every facet of my being became consumed with my newfound relationship with uh, Abba Father. Uh, I called my agnostic and atheist friends to share my experience. Each one told me that I seemed like a different person, uh, like a, uh, on a different planet almost. And sub subsequently, my prayers were emboldened. I witnessed healing in many cases uh, and taught uh, and volunteered at the Teen Challenge as a teacher, witnessed many miracle men uh, delivered of addictions. And I started Christian fellowship groups during which uh, we experienced the, the move of God to change lives. Uh, so I was uh, 
discovered many of my spiritual gifts. But that was, that was a long period of time in which I was involved in ministry, and then I was involved in serving on boards of directors as I grew older, and uh, I was a teacher in churches, spiritual gifts, uh, and all kinds of uh, venues within the Christian community, serving on the board of directors for some worldwide uh, missions. So that's, that was my status uh, going into this, Jackie. And um, you would think, having served in the ministry for several decades at this point, that I would be a solid, you know, no doubts, unquestioning Christian. But that wasn't the case because I had entered into the corporate world and had started the biotech company, became um, relatively successful in those venues. Uh, I was out in Washington, D.C., I was involved with uh, our group there to introduce a drug that was a potential cure for Alzheimer's. And we had our scientists on uh, NBC, CBS, Fox News, all of the major networks. We were on the front cover of Time Magazine uh, for a cure. Uh, We never call that in the pharma industry, by the way, a cure. But that's what it was called uh, in Time Magazine and several other uh, media venues. Uh, and so we were, you know, riding the proverbial wave uh, top of the mountain, as they say. And then uh, the FDA forced a recall that was swelling the brains of several of our patients in late-stage clinical trials. And then the uh, Wall Street Journal published uh, on the front page of their article that our uh, CFO was uh, doing some off-balance accounting, which is legal. Uh, however, they made it seem as though it was not. So our stocks, we were the fastest-growing pharma company in the world at that point, and I was directing the corporate operations for that company. And so uh, we had a forced recall of, uh, of the drug. Uh, that, was, that was the kind of the nosedive that I took. Uh, financially and otherwise. Uh, we started a biotech company. I was the CEO of that company. We needed to raise $60 million to continue to fund our uh, research and product development uh, in that company. I bought a media company, of all things. And uh, so our financial resources were drained, uh, and a series of events just caused me to be at a level of despair. Uh, and that's that's the point at which I cried out in my bedroom one evening uh, that God needed to show up again, that I was literally lying on my bed. Uh, the moonlight was spreading a shadow across the ceiling that pretended an ominous sign uh, that really was reflected the darkening of my soul. I'd been so involved in ministry and a leader in ministry and in teaching uh, within the church environment. And I was at a level of despair and an outright depression. Uh, And I cried out to the ceiling, uh, saying to God, you know, you need to show up. Kind of the cursory, what I felt was a cursory relationship, and it wasn't really, but being in despair, uh, all things were running through my mind, like why did God allow these things to happen or daughter was suffering at the time uh, medically. Um, we had all kinds of issues that were, were arising within our family, and I felt like God had abandoned me. And I cried out, you know, you really need to show up. And I halfway expected that uh, 
that somehow the wall would part and, and the Lord Jesus Christ would appear in it in, uh, in form. And that's what I wanted. That's absolutely what I wanted. And um, that's the point, Jackie. And I'll pause a little bit if you want me to elaborate what happened to le- leading up to my afterlife experience. But um, that's the point at which I was in despair and that God took my life uh, and I clinically died for about 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. 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 Go into a little more detail, like you were saying about what happened before, um, before the blood clots. Yeah. So I flew out to uh, a major corporation. I had worked with them before Johnson and Johnson, largest healthcare company in the world for a position. And I was on a return flight from back East. Uh, didn't drink any water, didn't get much sleep. Um, I just slept the entire flight. My wife picked me up at the airport. We live I lived at the time uh, in San Diego, in the San Diego area. And uh, I went quickly to bed after arriving from, from uh, the airport. The next morning, I went for a bicycle ride up the coast. Uh, and typically, I would do that, and the waves from the ocean would just soothe me as I was bicycling up the, uh, the coast. It was a wonderful, scenic uh, ride up the coast, but yet um, my breathing was labored and my calf had swollen. I, I kind of halfway believed that maybe I had strained my calf. And so, and my breathing, I thought I reasoned as being labored because I'd suffered uh, with asthma and chronic uh, or COPD for much of my life. And so I labor to get back home from this bicycle ride. And I began making breakfast and I took the trash out to the side part of the house. And just from the kitchen to where we kept the trash cans, I could not make that track without just having difficulty breathing. I was uh, just heaving for breath. I got a phone call and I tried hobbling up the stairs. It was so painful at this point. My leg was so uh, pained. But it was the um, executive from uh, Johnson & Johnson offering me the uh, position for which I had interviewed. And I, was, I, I should have been elated, and I accepted that offer, but I, I could barely breathe at this point, and I could barely speak uh, to that person. Uh, my wife uh, came as I hobbled down to the kitchen and she was asking me what was wrong. And I said that, you know, and I was just breathing intermittently. And I said, you know, I I just can't breathe. And by this time, my calf had swollen to about one and a half times its normal size. So we were planning a trip to the mountains after all this stress. Now we had some good news. And I really didn't want to spoil that, so I kind of knew that this was, well, I knew that this, this was different, but I went to the orthopedic uh, doctor to, to request an anti-inflammatory so we could make our, our trip, our long planned trip, and he asked me to press my heel down to the floor, um, and it was very, very painful to do that. And then he asked me to press the ball of my foot against the floor, and it wasn't painful. Well, normally, 
when there's a muscle strain, uh, if you press your foot to the, the, the ball of your foot to the floor, it will be painful because it's straining the muscle. But the back, the heel is straining the deep veins. And that was the most painful for me. So I was rushed to the emergency room at that point. It was discovered after um, some blood tests, a CT scan. Uh, my D-dimer level was uh, elevated, meaning that was my blood clotting agent within the blood. And it was determined that I had, by this time, six blood clots. And because I had let it go and it, and it exercised, they traveled up my leg. And the veins increase in size as the blood flows and the clots were flowing up and they were enlarging and eventually they find their way to the pulmonary artery, which is the main artery to the lungs. And so I had these multiple blood clots that is clumping of blood cells that were blocking my pulmonary artery, which explains the labored breathing. And at this point I was literally suffocating to death. Um, I could not breathe. There was a 27-year-old surfer, actually, that died that very day. And this, the doctor came in and he said, you were a walking dead man. They were thinking about transporting me to UCSD, which is special. It's University of California, San Diego, specializes in thrombinectomies. That is uh, cracking the chest and removing the blood clots. Uh, because my case was so severe, he said, by the time we got you in the hospital, you would be dead. And so uh, it was just anticoagulation therapy that is um, what we call blood thinners. There was a patient that was next to me that they transported out immediately because something had happened. And I didn't know what it was, but later I found out that he had a highly contagious bacterial infection called MRSA, which is a bacterial strain that cannot be treated by normal antibiotics. And I had contracted it probably from this patient because I had an IV line running through me. The MRSA that I had contracted, and it was confirmed through blood tests, was now coursing through my body. And uh, it was causing further blood clotting, that is, uh, hypercoagulability. Uh, and that caused a, basically a traffic jam of blood cells throughout my body. The, the doctor came in trying to take a blood sample from my arm, and he could not extract blood from my arm. That's how much clotting was going on. At this point, I was thinking of all different things. I was praying, but it was a prayer of urgency. You know, God saved me. I, I thought I could possibly die. die. I had two young children, uh, eight and ten at the time. Uh, we had a big mortgage at the time. I didn't know how they would survived through this and financially. So those were all the, the thoughts and the, the stress circling through my mind at this point, and my body started convulsing. Um, I felt like a floppy fish out of water on the bed. I was My body was literally flopping on the bed, and that is when, um, and, I, and I could not, I had no means of, of breathing at this point. I could not uh, do anything but just let go. Um, and that's when everything went dark. I didn't lose consciousness, but there was a light at this point. that was, I get emotional because I'm getting close to the point of meaning. 
before Jesus Christ. And it was so momentous. And um, to say the least, this light was pulling me from above. I could see my body uh, from, from below. And I, I saw these warring figures out in the distance. There was a faded kind of reality was what's going on because of the shining light from shades of darkness to, to greater light. And I could see these warring figures on both sides that were coming against each other. They were otherworldly. They were gargantuan figures. Um, on one side, there were worn figures. They looked um, like you might see from a horror film. Not that I, I watched those, but I have seen those figures. And the other side, there were brilliant uh, figures. And they were warring with uh, swords. And um, the one side looked refreshed, and they were reflecting the light that uh, was pulling me from above. The other side was darkened. And they were warring against each other as I was being pulled up by the light. And so I had a sense of peace, but I knew that the warring figures were either warring for my own soul or for the soul of others. But I knew that the only thing as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ that I could do is just cry out the name of Jesus. And I, I cried out the name of Jesus Christ. And I was per, at perfect peace and comfort. I had no stress at this point, nothing of that nature, but I just knew that he was the only one I needed. And I rested. Um, my feet rested on this cushiony ground, this very soft figure, and I, so, I say soft because of his soft robe, but he leaned his cheek into my cheek. And I could feel the, the soft... Um, bristles of, of his beard. I hadn't looked at him face to face at this point. He wrapped his his left arm around my left side, and he leaned into me, and I knew it was Jesus. Then he said, "Trust me. Trust me." And I just came to the ground. I was in the presence. And I keep sobbing and on awe of being with Jesus Christ. And he, he, he pulled me up and uh, turned me towards him and I into his face. I'd never seen the I'd never seen consummate love that is love as a person before. I've seen love as an emotion or as an action, but as a person, this was the first and only time. And I looked into his eyes, and they were kind of a, I call them the colors of an ocean almost, emerald brown or bluish. They were, they tunneled, his eyes tunneled into every dark place within me, shining his light, which cascaded throughout all of heaven. It was a brilliant light that soothed. It didn't burn like the sun, but it was as brilliant as the sun. And it revealed everything inside me. And there was, I was just caught in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's all I wanted was to be in his presence. And the first thing I said to him was, so this is love. So this is love. 
and I had a series of life, what people call life reviews, which is a revelation of my life, like a series of vignettes with me as the character in each one. And all this time, he was just kept hugging me. And it's like I, I was just immersed in love. And he showed me this one scene years ago when I was a youth. And there was a boy who was, uh, had volunteered in a hospital. And as a boy, I'd served actually a, a food to who was very emaciated. He was dying of cancer. And this is the this is the vignette that I saw. It was very real, and I was there again. And I had forgotten this previously until the Lord reminded me of it uh, in, through this. And I was in the room, in the hospital room again. And the boy, I was an agnostic at the time. The boy told me he was going to die. He was probably eight to ten years old, and. Uh, I said, well, no, don't think that way. You know, something like that. And he said, uh, I'm going to heaven. And I said, well, good. God, you know, what a... And he said, um, you're going there too. I said, well, I, I don't believe in that. And he said, I'll pray for you. And he was an emaciated boy with skin and bones, his veins were protruding through his bluish, uh, you know, veins protruding through his skin, and he prayed for me. And I came back a couple of days later, and um, he wasn't in the bed. I just stopped by because this boy impressed me so much. Just <laughs> somebody could have so much peace in the midst of death. And I, uh, the nurse told me that he had died. And um, and I didn't realize, and certainly at that point, that when he said you'd be in heaven one day, that was then. I was there. And the Lord used that to show me the power of prayers of the saints. This little, this innocuous moment, the seemingly inconsequential moment in my life that I had forgotten, and that prayers of that boy had influenced my own salvation and he was prophetic and declaring one day now I would be in heaven it was incredible it was absolutely incredible and uh, Jesus also taught you other revelations when you were in heaven tell us about the time where you saw Jesus interceding for us oh yes well I had, I had, I had both uh, verbal discussions, discussions, communications with my Lord, as well as those which were impressions, and I could see the Lord interceding uh, with four others. I could literally see them. I. Um, my greatest challenge, Jackie, in describing experiences in heaven arose when Jesus formed impressions and divisions. It's mm-hmm. very difficult for me to explain, but I perceived in my spirit the materialization of his truth. 
And one example would be Jesus revealed to me an outspreading of his presence in the form of different color grades. And they were pierced by a brilliance uh, with no hue, like a pure drop of water. And they were reflected colors like the colors of the rainbow. And this was reflect, reflecting the very presence of the Lord through a, through a light that was emitting through from him. And those colors represented his presence um, that revealed to me a, just a profound dynamic about how God relates to us. That moment that I saw this in heaven impressed upon me the phenomenon in a similar way that uh, that aha moment, you know, when the mm-hmm. truth imparts a revelation to us. Only this time I actually saw God's intercessions with my spiritual eyes. And I felt his presence as a comforting warmth within my chest. And during this time, Jesus and I didn't speak with words, but impression. And Jesus impressed upon my spirit that he constantly intercedes for people experiencing trials and for those facing seminal decisions and for those experiencing other pivotal moments in their lives. Hmm. And when we go through the fiery furnace like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, whether an illness, the loss of a job, or any other point of suffering, Jesus is right there with us, saving us from destruction. Mm -hmm. And I saw it with my spiritual eyes, and I actually saw a group of three in a circle praying uh, in heaven. And one was a woman, she had long brown hair, the other was a man, two others, one was a man with kinky hair, the other had a goatee. And I saw Jesus never left my side. He was always with me. And he never... Uh, he never let go of me. But I saw these three that Jesus showed me that were praying in a circle, and I knew it was for somebody on earth, and it was they were interceding and praying for that lost person or suffering person on earth. Well, even though Jesus had never left my side, I, I, I saw also Jesus in the middle of this group interceding. <laughs> On their behalf, for the prayer, they were they were emitting or speaking forth for that person, and yet he was in both places with me and interceding on their behalf. Hmm. So I constantly saw Jesus interceding for others throughout heaven. It's an amazing thing that cannot be explained in mere words. There just aren't words to explain it fully. Yeah, that's wow. That's amazing, and that's so encouraging. And you also um, were taught by Jesus on how to be still and know that he is God. Tell us about that revelation. Jackie, I was a type A person. You know, I was um, an executive in the corporate world, and I always tried to overachieve to the point where I just, and I think it reflected probably, you know, a, a flaw in my own personhood because I worked like, 80, 100 hours of work a week, you know, I just was always trying to exceed goals and always trying to, uh, to be better. And I, you know, climbed the corporate ladder and I realized that the climbing the corporate ladder just, you know, led to the next rung. You could never reach the top. And so I was in heaven and a butterfly rested on my shoulder and Jesus showed me the butterfly. I, at first, I couldn't 
I didn't understand why this butterfly rested on my shoulder outside of the fact that the butterfly was just absolutely striking more than anything in this, in this world. And the colors, the vibrancy of colors in heaven overall were more vibrant than anything I had seen in this world. But this butterfly in particular reflected a brilliancy of colors and a softness and also a tenderness. And Jesus uh, explained to me that the butterfly is represented the wisdom that would guide me. And I didn't understand that at first, even though I understood things implicitly from the Lord, still there was something that the Lord was teaching me. I dared not move knowing that butterflies are sensitive to movement and not wanting it to fly away because it imparted so much tenderness in my heart. And Jesus said, he said, just as you must remain still, my beloved, so it is with my wisdom. Be still and know that I'm God. Wow. And I remember that verse from Psalm 4610. And I knew in, the, in my spiritual body that if I moved too abruptly, not waiting on God, not resting in his presence, and not listening to his will, that I would lose God's wis- guiding wisdom. And I knew that wisdom was the voice of God telling me what to do. And I said, you know, Lord, I, I know what you're saying. I need to wait on you. And he said, my spirit has told you this. And I said, so I said to him, so it's not about just being with you. Spending, it's about, it is about just being with you and spending time and listening. And then Jesus smiled softly. And his eyes, oh, those wonderful eyes, just being with joy. Mm. And he, he smiled at me. And he told me that, my, that his spirit had spoken this truth to me. Mm. And then he followed up with probably the most disconcerting words I had heard in heaven. Even though I was at perfect peace, comfort, no sorrow, no grief, any of those, even the, even the vignettes that I had seen that were my failures served as comforts in that I, they reflected the grace of God to cover all of the things that I thought, even, even those things, which were too egregious, to be covered by God's grace. Mm-hmm. Everything was at peace. However, when the Lord spoke to me that he was going to return me, because I had not fulfilled my purpose yet. I, I just pleaded with the Lord, let me stay. Mm. I felt like a child, you know, who had woken up on Christmas morning. His parents came down and told him he had to go back to bed. Mm. Couldn't open his presents. And that's, that's the point at which the butterfly rested on my shoulder because I pleaded with him to know why, why, why my purpose And he explained to me that moment by moment that he would reveal his purpose to me. And recalling that I I was a type A person, I wanted to plan ahead. I wanted to know the answer. I wanted to be able to, to just 
make it happen, you know, make it happen, me make it happen. And he was teaching me that he was the one that would not only reveal my purpose, but fulfill my purpose if I would be still, wait upon him, and be obedient in answering his voice, which was the voice of wisdom telling me what to do. Wow. Wow, that's such a needed message for today. That's so good. And you came back into your body, and you actually heard a couple singing a song that the angels were singing in heaven. Tell us about that. Oh, boy. You know, I... Uh, that, that when when I was returned and my eyes were opened and I heard my name called out by the nurse, Mr. K, Mr. K, can you hear me? <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, I smelled these beautiful fragrances in heaven. I mean, they were just, oh, my goodness. I, like nothing uh, on this earth. This, uh, and, and then I, I smelled the acrid smell of the hospital that was the first, first shocking revelation that I had. It invaded my nostrils, and I had awakened at 30 minutes to decease, where I had flatlined. And this couple stood at my bedside singing a song that I heard in heaven by the angels. They were singing this worship praise, but it was a prayer in heaven. It was a prayerful worship. And they were singing that exact same song. And at first I thought um, that the angelic voices after my cardiac arrest were actually the couple's voice resonating within my mind because my mind, my mind had returned, my brain had returned now. The blood had started flowing again to my brain. And then I remembered those angelic voices in heaven singing that, that worship song so ineffable that nothing in this world could compare, not even an assembly of the world's greatest symphonies. But that same identical worship song I had heard in heaven was being sung by the couple alongside my bed after I awoke from my uh, once dead body. And it was, it, it was their prayerful song was so angelic that it was otherworldly. It's hard to believe that somebody could sing that beautifully and that prayerfully, but they had. And I realized that God had enjoined the worship of these two people by my bedside with the worship of his angels in heaven as one glorious peon. That is, that is, a, that is a, a symphony, an enjoining of symphonies into one that were reflected through this, this um couple caught in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to pray the very thing that uh, God had intended for me. And I remember that Jesus had said to me in heaven, I'm sending you back. Many are praying for you. And I learned in that moment about the power of prayer being enjoined in heaven and being enjoined by the, the Lord interceding for me and enjoined by the angels reflecting that prayer. And the prayers that I remembered the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that was what was going on. <laughs> they had prayed for me because they were at my bedside and they had seen me. They had seen my ashen face. I had flatlined. They had alerted the team 
um, that they were praying for me, and I felt in their spirit that even though I was I was dead, God wanted me back. Mm-hmm. And that's how, how I came back. And it overcame, to some extent, just the, the pain and the, the, the maladies that I had suffered when I returned. Uh, and it assuaged me because I... I had felt the connection then between what I had lost in heaven and being returned to this world. Mm. Now, you you teach um, that we were created for fellowship with Jesus, and like you were saying, you were with him, and now here you're on the earth, but we're still um, we're still able to be connected with the Lord. What what are some things that you do practically to to stay in fellowship and stay connected with Him? Well, you know, we often, especially those of us who are spirit-filled, that is, we live according to the, the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in accordance with that belief, but that belief is a belief. And in faith, of course, faith is not required in heaven. It is manifested fully in relationships, so there's no need for faith because there is um, there's an impartation of God's presence throughout all of heaven and to every living soul within heaven. However, in this earth, on this earth, we are constantly battling, you know, with our, our soul and our body uh, and our born-again spirit, which is, which is the part that is in constant fellowship. So in my spirit body in heaven— I was in constant fellowship with the Lord. There was no impediment whatsoever in my spirit. My spirit, my born anew spirit, that is, was um, controlling, influencing my soul. And I had, of course, no physical body. I had a spiritual body. So when I returned, um, I was, I, going back to the time that I cried out, you know, to God to show up. He had to show up this time. In other words, I had a, what we call a crisis of faith. I was actually in a coffee shop with my wife before this happened. And I said, you know, we lost just about everything, but at least we had our health. And then, you know, that disappeared. And um, so I was the doubting Thomas. I really was the doubting Thomas. And now I was filled with this amazing faith that came from this encounter that was no longer uh, questioning, doubting, or even needing necessarily to believe that Jesus Christ is who he is and is faithful and righteous to do good work. Uh, I knew it. I was full of conviction. And so when I talk to people now, Jackie, and, you know, I've, I've been in the training realm uh, for much of my career. I trained in the corporate realm. I led training teams in corporations and also for training corporations. So I knew how to train. But now I had to be equipped to, treat, to teach more along the lines of how do we respond to the voice of wisdom, that is the voice of God, telling us what to do, but in return, believing that he is faithful and righteous to do a good work. And it's a very, very distinct difference. Um, And it has to do, I think, 
primarily with overcoming this this um, this question, nagging question that people have, and that is why does God allow bad things to happen? Because certainly, because the enemy will always try to defeat us. And remember those uh, warring figures in the distance. There was all there were always always battles going on, battles going on, trying to steal our joy. And joy is the ethos of heaven, but but we oftentimes lose that joy, the joy of the Lord, you know, which is our strength. And so I I I oftentimes address that, and I go back to. A uh, time in heaven where I saw Jesus enjoying his tears with mine in the flow of life. That is uh, the, the river of life. That is the river that I saw in heaven that was emanating from Jesus that fed throughout heaven. And he brought to mind a story when I was, when I had as a child, he, um, I, w- I fell on a strawberry patch of offense and I cut my hand and he asked me, you know, in heaven, do you remember that? And I did because he showed it, revealed it to me. And he said, my beloved, I collected your tears in a bottle. And he showed me in heaven that he poured those tears, had poured those tears in the streams, that is the river of life that flowed from him. And he said, your tears are within these waters, you see. He said, my beloved, you see with the eyes of your own understanding, and I see through my eyes. You thought that you cried from the pain, but you were crying out to me. And I said, fear, Lord. You never feared. Did you feel my pain? And Jesus said, my beloved. I felt your need for me. When I walked upon the earth, I felt your pain. Here, I feel my children's need for me. And at that moment, I remember thinking how much Jesus missed me when I was apart from him. And he misses each of us when we're apart from him. And oftentimes, being apart from him is when we have those doubts, those fears, those things that pull us away. Maybe it's the cares of the world. And I knew that my emptiness always was a longing for God and him for me, that we just longed for each other. And that's the empathy God feels for us. Pain, loneliness, grief, all kinds of sadness are rooted in our separation from God. And God feels that separation and yearns to be together. Just know for those who are listening here, that your tears are saved in heaven. Literally, I saw that. There's nothing figurative in heaven. When he said he saved his tears in a bottle, it is true. I saw it. Your tears are saved in heaven within the life-giving water of Jesus, and he has joined your tears with Jesus' atoning waters to turn your sadness into joy. And only God can absolutely empathize with your sufferings. And Psalm 56, 8 says that, uh, the, that he saves the good news, and the good news is that your tears are poured into the abundant river of life. He redeems. He will always redeem. And the pain that you're going through, whatever is separating, separating you 
from that closeness with the Lord God, he redeems what was lost in return for a greater gain. And that's a given. You know, Romans 8.28 says, All things work for good to those that belong to him and are called according to his purpose. What is his, is his purpose? His purpose is revealed moment by moment, situation by situation, person by person. So now, Jackie, when I go out, not all the time. Obviously, I'm living in the flesh now, so <laughs> I, get, I get the cares of the world that are on me like they are on everybody um, because I'm, you know, hounded by by all of the, the needs that circle around and all of the things that we commonly experience in this life. But now I will go sometimes out and I will see somebody and the Lord will reveal you need to pray for that person Um and I can see, I can sense their characteristics more so now because in heaven I saw not people for who they are on the surface. I saw who they are in Christ. I saw them who they are apart from Christ. I saw their persona. I saw their characteristics. I saw them um, as who they were. And so that in a similar way, that same revelation impacts me now in a greater sense of what it is, the crux of what I need to pray for or do for somebody else, you know, returning good for evil, for example. And once I shared my story, Jackie, I got some messages, 90% were, you know, thank you for sharing and all that, just very encouraging. But there were those ones that came out that were, you know, not so nice to say the least, and and the Lord would reveal to me the need that they have. And sometimes I would circle back and look at, you know, their, um, like on Facebook, their, um, you know, this the anger that they showed and the fear, and, they, and the Lord had taught me this, this separation. And that is the hardest thing probably for us to do, isn't it, to return good for evil. And yet the Spirit of God is the only one that can return that and the way that we do that is to draw closer to God. And that's the only way, is to draw closer to him and then moment by moment trust him so that we're not so, uh, we're not so compelled to do things from, um, from, let's say, a vocational or success point of view, which we're taught from early childhood, like when children are asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? But we're compelled to do things in the moment that God reveals to us what is the need uh, for that person or in that situation. Wow, that's, that's so good. And you wrote a new, uh, brand new book called Revelations from Heaven, A True Account of Death, the Afterlife, and 31 Supernatural Discoveries. Uh, tell us how, what the, that book will do for the listeners that read it. Well, there's one overriding objective, um, that I had in writing that book. And I, I didn't write it, by the way, Jackie. I didn't write, share my story publicly for about 14 years. And I kind of I've studied, you know, Paul and his talking about the third heaven. Uh, and so I studied that and I realized some uh, theological scholars thought his story wasn't, or his testimony of that wasn't revealed until several years later. And that was the point with me. I wrote this book with an objective to bring others to a greater understanding and a revelation 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and God Abba Father. That is, uh, my hope was that after, while they're reading this, they are caught in the Spirit to realize His presence in a way that is so intimate and so profound that it cannot be defied and that there's an impartation through the book. This is what I prayed, and this is why it took so long to write and to be seated in the in, in his presence to write, even though I kept a journal of my account. So I had the facts, but I wanted the anointing of the Lord really to reveal these things, that the objective should be to view people uh, through the eyes of God's Spirit, not through our own eyes, and to open our spiritual eyes so that we could see others as to how God sees them, because we are so sweet in his presence. So if, if somebody doesn't tear up, through this, I, I guess I haven't done my job correctly because I, I certainly do. And I can tell you that um, the pages of, um, of this were stained with tears. Um, I just, I, I'm in the mere recollection, which is so vivid even to this day, several years later, um, is so great. How can we deny the love of Jesus Christ? And how can we not know that he is real? And how can we not know that? is God. And that is what I hope people will have that sense of God in a real, profound, uh, alterable, immersive way. Wow, that's so good and so needed right now. And we are running out of time, but can you just pray for um, the listeners anything the Lord is showing you? Yes, I know there are those listening here that are going through things now. Maybe you've gone through the fears of COVID. Maybe you've gone through the loss of a job. Maybe you've gone through just the fears of a, an illness or just waking up in the morning feeling like there's no purpose or that you're caught in some cycle of just doing the same old thing. Whatever that is, I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that there will be an impartation of God's presence to you that would reveal not just his purpose, but his presence, immersive presence, so that your spiritual eyes would be open, that you would see that you are like the only person in the world to God. That is how I felt. You are the only, like the only person in the world to God. That's a, that's, that was my first revelation. He sees you like you're the only one in the world. He loves you more than anyone else in the world. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but that's how he sees you. He carries the world on his shoulder. He sees everybody the same way, but he sees you as though you're the only person in the world, and you need to see yourself. And I ask for for your spiritual eyes to be open to receive that revelation once you realize how important you are to God you cannot help but now see that you are his emissary in this world to do the good works of God and if you don't 
There will be a void and no one else in this world can fill that void. I saw the vacuum in heaven. There's no one else that can replace you. There's no one else. However, the great news is that you are making the kingdom impact by your very presence such that now I ask for that revelation to be imparted to you that you would be so filled by the Holy Spirit that you would enact your purpose in every situation, every moment, every person that you come across, that you will find out how important you are to God, that you can live that moment-by-moment life, fulfill it to the full, that you will see the perfection of that fullness in heaven after you will meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will say to you, well done, my grand faithful servant, the sweetest words. And I know because I heard those at the end. The sweetest words you will ever hear. And he'll show you every good thing that you've done. And you will be absolutely amazed. So start now. Do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And get away from the fear. Get away from the oppression. Get away. Say to the enemy, you have no part with me. I'm a child of the living God. I'm called to a higher purpose. I'm called to the purpose that God ordained for me. And I have purpose is greater than any other person because I am the only one who can fulfill it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest, Randy Kay, and now here's Sid to tell you how you can get the special resource. Randy Kay died medically, went to heaven, and came back. Randy learned 31 revelations that he wants to teach you in his brand new book, Revelations from Heaven. You'll learn about his conversations with Jesus, emboldened prayer, angelic and demonic activity, the sights, sounds, and senses of heaven, and how to have a heavenly encounter of your own. In Randy's brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, Revelations from Heaven, he reveals in heaven it felt like he was the only person in the world to God. What we pray on earth is prayed simultaneously by the heavenly choir in heaven. And heaven is going to become more real than this earth to you when you read this book. Call now for Randy Kay's brand new book and brand new and exclusive three-part audio teaching series, Revelations from Heaven, for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars to order Call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org, S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Be sure to ask for offer number 9774. Once again, that's offer number 9774.